Good morning, church family. It's good to see y'all. Now, God is so very good to us. And I just want to um, give him praise and glory and honor. You know, last week I stood before you and I asked you if we could raise um, enough money to buy 50 sets of Master Life books for Kenya. We received a request from Rogers and Rachel Kahindi that we would uh, be able to help them buy Master Life books. And those books were $20 a set. Um, and um, I asked for $1,000 that we could send to Kenya for them to purchase those books with. And I'm pleased to report that God put it on your heart. And y'all gave $2,000. And more. And so I'm, I'm praising the Lord for the fact that we are able to help disciple believers in Kenya uh, through our church body and through what is God is doing through each one of you. So uh, what, a, what a great blessing that is. So thank you. And I'm thankful to him for what he has provided. Um, but God is, God is great. God is awesome. And um, another statement that I want to make to you this morning is that God always performs what he promises. God always performs what he promises. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 15 this morning. You know, there's a fellow by the name of Yogi Berra. He passed away not too long ago, but he, uh, he addressed graduates of Montclair State University with these simple proverbs. He said, first, I want to tell you, never give up because it ain't over until it's over. Secondly, he said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Third, he said, don't always follow the crowd. Nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Fourth, he said, stay alert. You can observe a lot just by watching. And fifth and last, he said, remember that whatever you do in life, 90% of it is half mental. I mean, it's okay. It's even funny. You know, we hear someone make comments like that. You know, when Yogi Berra talks about it this way, it's funny. But it's tragic when a believer talks about the gospel this way. I mean, we all, with all of our debates about how the world's going to end, how a person should be baptized, how the church should be governed, what worship should look like, and a host of other debates, it's no wonder that people are confused. I mean, that's what our text this morning is so important. It proclaims Christianity in simple terms. In fact, if we can understand Genesis 15, 6, the rest of it becomes pretty simple. This morning, I want to show you the simple truth of the gospel so that you can evaluate your own spiritual state and so that you can explain it to others. See, our Heavenly Father always initiates our spiritual experiences. It's no accident that you're here today. God put it on your heart to come to this place or you wouldn't be here. He woke you up this morning. That's why you're here. Is because God initiated that experience for you. 
See, he does not degrade our human dignity, but he shows us his gracious, redemptive activity. I mean, if we see our hunger for the bread of life as divinely initiated, then it will add excitement and expectancy to our time in his word. If we can understand that our deep inward desire to go uh, to God's house and to meet with God's people is in reality His Holy Spirit drawing us, then we will be encouraged to greater faith and we will be enabled to have a greater love for our Father, Almighty God. See, the book of Genesis provides illustration after illustration of God's love and how God approaches people and communicates that love and his will to their lives. I think this is hugely and vitally important because as we begin to read this passage of Scripture, I want you to notice that God comes with a command. Here we go. Chapter 15 of Genesis, verse 1, it says, After these things... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what would you give me? What will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, One born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one in whom will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Verse 6. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. See, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Most likely it was a dream of such vivid reality that it communicated with his most innermost being. That, that when he saw that, it was, it was very convincing to him. You know, in modern terminology... We might uh, declare that God communicates with us not only with our conscious mind, but also with our subconscious minds. He communicates with us when we're awake, but he also can communicate with us when we're asleep. See, God seeks to communicate with us through our personal experiences along the way of life. Those things that we've been through. But he also communicates to us through what I want to call national crisis or things of international significance, he also speaks to us through the normal activities of everyday life, what we might call mundane activities. But he also communicates in moments of deep personal meditation, times when we're just alone with him and and maybe even in serious thought. But you see, God wants to speak to us supremely through his word, As we come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way, as we're drawn by the Holy Spirit. 
You see, it's no accident that you're here today. God has drawn you to this place for this time. See, Abram probably had a lot of things that weighed heavy on his mind. I mean, he was about 80 years old when, when we come to chapter 15. And, and obviously, the things that he worried about, about would have been totally different than the things that concern our, uh, our world today and, and our restless minds. I would imagine the things that he was thinking about kept him awake at night. But he had lots of burdens. You know, I read a story about a distraught senior citizen. She, um, <laughs> she phoned her doctor because she, uh, she said, Is it true that the medication you described, prescribed for me has been, I have to take for the rest of my life? And he said, Yes, I'm afraid so. You're going to have to take it the rest of your life. And she paused for a moment and she said, I'm wondering then just how serious the condition is because on the bottle it says no refills. I mean, if I'm going to check out soon, I need to know that. But God came to Abram with a command, and his command was this. Do not fear. Do not fear. And in many instances, one's initial intimate experience with the invisible God is indeed frightening. Because people are sinners. And God is holy. Often a high spiritual experience is preceded by an awesome encounter with God in which sin is dealt with radically in the life of the worshiper. I call your attention to Isaiah chapter 6. You remember Isaiah was in the temple and he saw the, the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And he recognized that, that, that he was an unclean man with unclean lips who lived among an unclean people. For his eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And it says a seraphim went from the altar and took a, a coal, a burning coal with tongs from the altar and touched it to his lips, to his mouth and, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. He recognized the holiness of God. And when we recognize the holiness of God, we see our own sinful state. Then he heard a voice from the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then he said, Here am I, send me. See, repeatedly our Lord told his disciples, Fear not. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He says, fear not. And listen, God does not want to frighten us. God's not here to strike fear in the heart of man. He could do that at any moment that he chose. He's not here to frighten us, but he comes to quiet our fears. I think this is big. Because we live in a day when there is a lot of fearful activity going on. See, he comes with a command, fear not, but he also comes with a promise. Look at verse 1. It says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. 
The God of Abraham makes promises to his servants. He not only makes promises, but he keeps them. God always performs what he promises. Brothers and sisters, you can take that to the bank. God always performs his promises. See, one of the most important reasons for studying God's word is to discover what God's promises are. Because once we know God's promises, we, we know that, that, that they're to his people and, 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 and they're universal in application. They apply to all of us. I want to tell you this morning, the thing that he promised to Abram is, is a promise to you as well. I will be a shield to you. And your reward will be great. We need to hear that. See, we, we can enter into the promises made by God to Abram when we have yielded ourselves through his son Jesus Christ to his redemptive plan in the world. See, there's a lot of things that can distress us these days. You know, all these discussions about terrorism, about um, immigration, a bit, about actual costs of health care, about the cost of college and many other things that are on our, on our time and on our, on our life. But life could be staring, leave us staring at the ceiling like it did Abraham. You know, we can't sleep at night because of the things that are going on in our world. That's why this first verse in Genesis 15 is so wonderful and helpful. Because right here, we read promises that bring us comfort and spur us on. Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And literally, that means your very great reward. <laughs> he says, I am a shield to you. You know, shields... Shields, they, they take on many different forms. And their purpose is to protect people from injury. A shield is, to, is an important part of, of armor that they used in, in the, the ancient world. But we even have terms for things like that today. I mean, you talk about a shield. I mean, a lot of people probably have shirts on today that are called under armor. There's a reason that it's called that. It's a shield. It's for that purpose. You know, you think about this, and, and it's huge. Because when we talk about later on, people build walls around their city to protect them. And most of us might say that we trust God. Today, you would probably say that. Well, I trust God. And we talk about how great it is living in His peace. But much of the time... We are really putting our faith in other things. For example, we might put our faith in money. Feeling and behaving like it's the answer to every problem. Or maybe we put our faith in weapons. And we can shoot our way out of trouble. Or what about alcohol and drugs? We can drink and medicate until we don't feel any pain and we can escape. Or maybe we put our faith in our friends. We surround ourselves with those who will tell us exactly what we want to hear. 
Or maybe it's in systems. We go to a counselor, we attend a seminar that gives us five steps to gaining victory in, over our problems in our life. Or maybe we trust education. You know, we feel like we can figure this out. We're smart people. If we know enough, if we study hard enough, we can figure this out. I wonder if Abraham, Abram here, was looking at his own strength. You know, he had just come off a great victory. Maybe he was feeling in his head that great victory. Maybe he was feeling like he, was, he, was, uh, he could whip the world at that point. But God reminds him that it was God who brought about that great victory. And as long as he rests in the Lord, it won't be his last victory. I mean, when are we going to get it through our heads that God is sufficient for our every need? I mean, when will we see that his way is always the best way? It's usually after years of regret. We come back and we say, well, okay, God, as a last resort, I'm going to try your way. That's the truth. When are we going to get it in our heads that his way is the best way? I mean, are we really that slow? Do we just not get it? I mean, because God really is all-sufficient. God declared that he would be Abram's personal shield. And he is the greatest shield anyone could possibly have. I mean, I love this. Because he tells Abram, I am a shield to you. You don't have to walk in fear. Because I am covering you. I am protecting you. We need to hear that. Because a lot of times we walk around in fear and we slink around like, like we're trying to avoid the enemy when we ain't really got anything going on. But as a child of the king, we need to stand up and be counted. We need not worry what men or other people or society can do to us. Because God says, I am a shield to you, your reward shall be very great. That's what part of the page I want to be on. Right there. I want him to be my shield and to protect me and to fight those battles. He says there, your reward shall be very great. You know, and some wrongly think that eternal life is a reward given by God for faithful service. That heaven is a reward from God. But the truth is, eternal life is a gift from God. You've done nothing to earn it. The rewards that God bestows are in addition to his gift of eternal life. You know, Jesus spoke a lot about rewards. He said he urged people to lay up treasures in heaven where neither rust nor moth could corrupt and where thieves couldn't break in and steal it. Matthew 10, he declared that those who have given even the most humble service in his name will never lose their reward. He affirmed that upon his return to earth, he will reward all people according to what they have done for God and for others. 
Revelation 22. But the greatest reward that God gives us is his presence. His presence and his assurance of his love along the way. Just the fact that he's going to be there with us and never leave us. I have a shield that is never going away. Whom do I need to fear? No one. See, God himself was Abram's greatest reward. But let's look at the human response to God's approach here. It's interesting to note how Abram responded to this visit by God. In verse 2, we notice that Abram asked questions of God. Verse 2, he says, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, since you have given me no offspring, one born in my house is my heir. And and I look at that and, and he's asking God questions. Our God is a big enough God that he can answer your questions. It's okay to ask questions of God. I mean, you remember Abram? He had been given the promise that his offspring would multiply, that, that this land that, that he was standing on, God would give him the off, give this land to his descendants. He's saying, I have no descendants, Father. What are you going to do? I'm 80 years old. It's been five years since you told me that I was going to that my descendants were going to take this land. He's asking God a question. The one that's in my house, um, he's from Damascus, but he's not really my son. He's not really my heir, my, the, the one who, who I give my inheritance to. So what do, I, what do I do? He's asking God. And then he listened to God. This is our problem. We ask God and then we don't listen. We ask God what we are supposed to do, what he would like for us to do, and then we don't listen to him when he gives us the answer. Because we don't like the answer because it may cost us something. But Abram listened to God. Look at verse 4 and 5. He said, Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside. He said, look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. So shall your descendants be. What I want you to see today is that many of us make a serious mistake by doing all the talking when we're praying. I mean, prayer should be a dialogue between us and God in which we... Not only talk, but we also listen. And in reality, it's much more important to hear what God has to say to you than what you, the petitions and requests that you are making of him. Notice verse 6. It says, then Abram believed God. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. He credited it to him as righteousness. How's your credit? I mean, we get these things in the mail all the time. People wanting to give us credit. You know what I mean? You get a bunch of, uh, you pay your bills and they think, ah, well, you need credit. And they want to give you credit. 
They want to give us lots of credit. No interest on balance transfers, cash back. I know it's a lousy sermon illustration. But what I'm saying is credit leads to debt. American citizens carry an astounding amount of personal debt. And our national debt last night was $19.9 trillion. That's $61,000 for every American. $61,000. There's only one credit that can undo any debt. Because God's credit is the only credit that really matters. It says, then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. He counted it. He calculated it. He counted it towards him as righteousness. See, faith is taking God at his word. He said, do you see the stars, Abram? As you can count the stars, if you could count the stars, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Abram believed God, took him at his word, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is And that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I mean, if you want to receive the blessings of God, respond to the great truth that he's seeking to communicate. Take time to listen to him and and learn from him. Because he loves you. I mean, I agree with David Docker. He said this. He said, salvation is not a transaction where God does his part and then we come along and do our part. It's not a 50-50 deal. Rather, it's all a gift, grace through faith. Faith is not our part of the deal. Faith is the empty-handed instrument that brings us to God. The result of faith is transformed lives that are God's workmanship. These changes are the fruit of God's marvelous grace at work in our lives, not the cause of it. It is all because of what God has done in Jesus Christ... By grace alone, through faith alone, for his glory alone, that's the gospel that we call the good news. Folks, we got to understand that. It's not a 50-50 deal. It's a gift from God. By grace alone, by faith alone. See, you've received a great gift that is absolutely astounding. You've been granted life. When you deserve death. You've been set free. When you deserve to be cast away. You've been forgiven. When you deserve to be condemned. And you've been declared innocent. Even though you knew you were guilty. You've been made a child of the king. It's a gift that should be cherished. It's something you should think about. Every free moment of your life. You know, when you're, when you're out there working, you should be thinking about what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. Amen. When you're inside relaxing, you ought to be thinking what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. Because we're not going to get what we deserve. We're going to receive his grace instead. See, this Old Testament passage about a man who lived a long time ago. 
is also a text that points us to the truth that will transform your life, both now and for eternity. Because the changeableness of God is the sinner's greatest fear. The unchangeableness of God is the sinner's greatest fear and the saint's greatest comfort. I love that. I mean, think about it. Since God doesn't change, there are a whole lot of people who are in big trouble. We live among them. They thought they were redefining God. They have excused sin as being progressive in our thinking. We've dismissed truth as irrelevant for today. We're in big trouble. Faith is taking God as his word. They've changed. But God, the standard, the ruler, has not. For the believer, these are great words of comfort. And it means that God always performs what he promises. I don't want anybody here to leave today without having Jesus Christ in their life. Because when you have Jesus Christ in your life, God says, I will be your shield. I will be a shield to you. And your reward will be great. And he's promised never to leave us, to never forsake us. What more could we want? Oh, eternal life? That's a free gift. 